This is the Family Friendly Workplace Podcast, produced by Women's Agenda. More and more employers are now offering paid parental leave. But the research shows continued stigma attached to fathers who take such leave and therefore hesitations for fathers to accept what is on offer. Tim Pelquis hunt is the chief winemaker of Orlando Wines based in the Barossa Valley, part of Pernard Ricard Winemakers, which became one of the first family-friendly certified employers in Australia back in 2021. Tim is passionate about wine and especially the magic and science of winemaking, which you'll learn more about in this conversation. He's also passionate about life outside of work and wants to demonstrate what leaders can do to actively demonstrate how they are taking up family-friendly policies. My name is Angela Priestley, and this is the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, an initiative of Parents at Work and UNICEF Australia, asking how leaders are creating more supportive workplaces, acknowledging the needs and caring responsibilities staff have outside of work. I spoke to Tim on a 39 degree day in South Australia. He shared what the winemaking life is like, how he made a career out of it, and his personal story on blending fatherhood with work and why he always leaves loudly, speaks about the leave he's taking and encourages conversations about parenting. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Thank you for having me. I believe it is very hot there today, is that correct? Uh, I believe it gets up to 39 degrees today, so grapevines tend to shut down. Um, So it's not ideal having this hot weather at this time of year, but thankfully we've had a pretty mild growing season to date. Um, So it's not uncommon to get warmer days like this. So it's going to be a quieter day uh, vintage-wise, but uh, we should have some nice warm ripening weather from here on out. Okay, excellent. So I I don't believe I have ever actually interviewed a winemaker or perhaps uh, had the opportunity to actually meet one before. So thank (laughs) you, Tim. And I guess before we get stuck into some of the typical questions that we do on this podcast, it would be interesting, I think, to hear what is an average day like for you? I guess there's no such thing really as an average day because the winemaking process really changes and evolves throughout the year. So currently we're going through uh, this period, which we call vintage. So unlike, I guess, uh, other industries, we only crop grapevines once a year. So we only really have one shot to get it right. Um, Another way of thinking about vintage is as harvest. And wine is one of the only few drinks that truly expresses a sense of place um, or it's a term that the French um, use as terroir um, and every vintage and season is different so there's a complex science and pathways between the magic of turning grape sugar via yeast into wine and it's something that we still don't fully understand so there is still a little bit of mystery and magic in wine and I guess the best way to think about it is when you bite into an apple and leave it During summer on your counter, it turns brown pretty quickly. Um, So the same oxidative process um, occurs with grapes. Uh, So it's important you harvest them from the vine and get them as quickly and gently to the winery as possible. And you have a finite amount of time to do this. So if you can imagine not just one apple on your counter, but 60,000 tonnes of grapes from all across the country um, that stop for nothing other than Mother Nature itself, then you can start to appreciate the complexity of vintage and all grapes and varieties and regions ripen at different times. um, And there's a reasonably small window for flavour ripeness. So picking decisions are one of the single biggest factors we can make. So I'm out in the vineyard quite a lot at this time of year. 
I'm also in the winery uh, tasting our ferments quite regularly and I guess really trying to uh, work out where we want the style of the wine to go itself. And I guess this demonstrates the critical nature of harvest. So it really depends on what time of year it is. Obviously, we have our quieter times, which tends to be at the back end of the year, kind of October to December, and then come January through to May with harvest, um, because we harvest everything from inland sparkling, which sits around the inland around Mildura and Sunraysia and Murray-Darling. So those grapevines tend to ripen slightly earlier, and we go all the way down to Kunawara Cabernet, which this year I'm predicting won't really finish until May. So uh, the winemaking calendar, I guess, really rotates depending on, on what the time of year is. Yeah. So uh, the first uh, thing I'm thinking of is how intense it would be for you in terms of that thought process and that decision making and, you know, even asking about the weather today, how often I imagine every single thing going on around you in your environment, you'd be thinking about uh, yeah, definitely. those grapes. Yeah. We often think uh, talk about the mental load that, um, and we often say it in association with women and some of the things that women take on, particularly outside of paid work. But I, I definitely sense to be a lot of mental load for you, particularly right now with those massive decisions that are required. Yeah, definitely. I mean, nature can be quite cruel, uh, and there's no way that you can really control nature, but there are things that you can do, um, decisions that you can make to try and work with it. And I think that's one of the things that makes wine. Uh, so beautiful is each season is really really different and that's what gives you um, you know gives you different expressions and it talks to the season and has this sense of place so it can be a lot but ultimately you have to step back a little bit and you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear it's really important that you, you pay respect to the fruit that you've got and you try and make the best wine that you can my job is very very easy if we get perfect grapes um, because really from that point you can only really go downhill from there so it's my job I guess to treat the fruit with respect and really carry it through so that it gives the best possible expression of the wine in the glass that hopefully excites people. Yeah. Okay. And I read earlier this morning that uh, winemaking wasn't your, perhaps not your first career, but certainly not your first um, ambition. Mm. Classically trained singer, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. So it's a little bit of a long-winded winded story, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell it anyway. Um, my, my background when I left school um, was classical singing. Um, that was something that I always wanted to do, and that was where I projected myself as an adult. So I enrolled in a Bachelor of Music and was studying at the University of New South Wales and was really, really loving, um, loving that. But the arts industry uh, can be very, very tough. It's highly irregular. You don't always know where your next income is coming, short-term contracts. Tracks. And a lot of musicians supplement their income um, with teaching. And eventually, a lot of the time, that cannibalizes what their initial intent was. And a lot of musicians do end up becoming teachers, which I think is a highly honorable career path. My wife is a teacher, and I've had a lot of really excellent teachers and mentors throughout my life, which I'm really thankful for. But I think that needs to be your initial output. You need to want to be a teacher first and then everything else follows through second. I didn't want to be a music teacher and I worked out pretty quickly that there was maybe a 20% chance that I might make it as a classical singer, but more than likely I would default to teaching. So at the time I took on a, a part-time role to supplement my studies at a, at, a, at a wine shop and I had no knowledge of wine whatsoever. I was really just there to man the till and serve people. Um, 
But then I had started to build an appreciation for alcohol via whiskey because it was the first, uh, scotch whiskey, because it was the first time where I had that light bulb moment where I tasted something and it transported me to a place. And that got me really excited about the organoleptic and sensory properties of um, alcohol and food in general. I think they're things that I really, really enjoy. Um, so when a, the fine wine manager walked up to me at the wine shop and said, what do you drink? And I said, I, I drink single malt scotch whiskey. And she said, well, if you if that's how you appreciate things, then wine should be quite easy for you because most people go from whatever it is, sweeter beverages, eventually graduating to wine and then eventually graduating to spirits. So she handed me a glass of Shiraz and I didn't know what a Shiraz was. And she said, what do you smell? And I said, well, I smell cherry and spice. And she said, very, very good. You can smell things. I'll train you. So from there, I, I developed a love of all things Venice and really fell in love with wine. Um, and it got to the point where I was working full time at the wine shop and the um, managers at the time sat down with me and said, what's your career in wine, wine retail? What's your goal? And I realized at that point that I really needed to make wine my focus and that I really wanted more than just to sell wine and to taste wine. I wanted to make it. So from there, I just took a plunge and enrolled in a postgraduate uh, course at Lincoln University in New Zealand. I moved over to New Zealand and studied winemaking, um, which was one of the best decisions I've ever made because I haven't looked back since then. It was a real whirlwind and being thrown into the deep end of studying sciences after having had no science background for a very, very long time was really, really exciting. But I liked, I'd like to think that there is a really nice synergy between arts, um, art and science as well, which I, I, I think that I'd like to bring creativity and excitement to my wines and I hope that that shows. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, what a whirlwind journey, especially to where you are now, particularly. And I also know that you have a young family and you've mentioned your wife there. So I guess how has your career been family friendly? What does that process look like? So obviously going through those early stages of your career, working your way into leadership and then also working your way into uh, becoming a father as well. Mm-hmm. First of all, I approach this discussion as a cisgender heterosexual male, so I'm happy to share my thoughts, but my experience may not be applicable for everyone. And while I use gendered language, it doesn't matter whether you're a mum or a dad or a birthing parent or a non-birthing parent, whether you've come to parenting via adoption or fostering or as a step-parent as well. The thing we all have in common is we are parents who parent and Perno Ricard Winemakers really recognises this and it's with a family-friendly culture like ours that I've been able to become the parent that I want to be. Um, so um, maybe it will help if I share some of my story, do you think? That would be great. Thank you. Okay. So our with our first child who was born in 2019, um, the policy at the time was one week of non-primary parental leave, which subsequently increased to two while I was actually on parental leave um, with the government supporting two. So this totaled four weeks. Um, and for our second child born last year, it increased to four weeks of parental leave and two governments. So this totaled six. Um, both of our children were born via C-section, which has health challenges and often a prolonged recovery. And the medical recommendation is six weeks before a birthing um, mother 
returns to things like light, light lifting. Um, and this is obviously a massive factor when you have a child that's three years old as well. So having a policy that mirrored that length of time was of real great comfort to me particularly the second time around as I was able to support my eldest child with becoming an older sibling, which was really important for gelling our family unit. Another factor that really drove my intent in gelling our family unit was my wife had quite serious postnatal anxiety with our first child. And I think when you look at the statistics of one in five mothers um, experiencing depression or anxiety and one in 10 dads, you don't know if it's going to be you and you don't know if it's going to be your partner. So this increase in paternity leave meant I could try to make sure my partner and and um, me were in the best mental space possible. And thankfully, we're both doing mentally very, very well. And I'd like to think that my full-time presence at that time aided in both our well-being, which then feeds through to our family unit and work life. We don't have any extended family in South Australia. We don't easily have that extra physical support network. So it's not uncommon in many Australian country towns for extended family to live down the road, pick the kids up from school and generally be available at short notice. Um, But even if I did have that family locally, I don't see that changing my stance or my position. I can't imagine how difficult it would be navigating a newly formed family with at least your employer supporting you. And I strongly believe that if you're happy at home, you're far more likely to be happy at work. And I think everyone can relate to having a bad day or period at home and bringing it with them and vice versa. So when you take that negativity into the household, um, it's a delicate balance and we need to give ourselves every opportunity to hit that balance. And Pernod Ricard Winemakers understands that families come in all different shapes and sizes. Our parental leave policy embraces this by providing inclusive family support, regardless of gender or gender identity, and includes support for same-sex couples, single parents, and blended families with the inclusion of adoption and surrogacy, foster care, and kinship as well. So uh, in terms of how it supports me, um, it's it's massive and it's it's necessary as well. On that taking the um, paid parental leave, so I do know that, I mean, we know we've seen the research that uh, not many fathers do take parental leave. Um, many don't even take the, you know, the minimum government paid leave that is on offer. And we also know, and we've got plenty of research to back this, that there is, there can be at least a bit of a stigma attached to men taking this leave, unfortunately, which which does hold a lot of, lot of men back from doing so. Did you encounter many questions about parental leave yourself? Um, I did. It's it really surprises me, and I can't I can't relate to those statistics, and I find them quite I find them quite shocking. And I'm very fortunate to work for an employer that does support that. So how those statistics play out, I only need to speak to some of my other colleagues who work um, in other, uh, I guess, other other wineries to try and delve a little bit deeper into, into what that looks like. You know, in coming back, some people did ask, well, it's not like you can breastfeed. What did you actually do? Um, how was your holiday? Um, and speaking with some people and mainly from people who hadn't taken parental leave for a long time, 
some people would wear it as a badge of honor saying, well, I didn't even take um, parental leave. And for me, absent parenting wasn't on my agenda at all. So I guess why wouldn't you want to take it if it was offered to you? Um, So I think there are a few factors that kind of make it a lot easier for people to activate that. Um, If I look at where Pernarica Winemakers was 10 years ago, there's a noticeable shift in the dynamics of our winemaking team in that there is more diversity in terms of um, demographics. So I think having a diverse and inclusive team is really central to activating a culture that allows people to very comfortably take parental leave. It's not only pushed uh, the requirement for flexibility and introduction of more family-friendly policies, because with diversity brings new perspective, but it's also given more opportunities to upskill and learn from others. And this in turn gives a natural broadening of the different life stages that team members are at. So It encourages learning and development opportunities that allows our team to be more cross-functional and agile. So I see that piece around diversity and inclusion being central to fostering a culture that values family friendliness amongst so many other qualities. So it's great to see that Pernod Ricard Winemakers supports this through our parental leave policy, but also our approach to flexibility generally, which is tailored towards individual needs. So it's not a one-size-fits-all policy. So... Panerica Winemakers has done a really good job at making that work for those of us who work in vintage, but also wider operations. So an example um, that springs to mind is a colleague in operations who works full-time during vintage and part-time the rest of the year. So he can support his wife, who's the primary carer of their eldest, eldest son. So, And it does come back to the wine industry and I guess operations in Australia as a whole knows it needs to change, that we need more Um, not just positive female role models, but also positive male role models to drive the change that we know that we need. It's really nice hearing what you say about fatherhood and these ideas about the father that you wanted to be and how you wanted to make that work and and noting those, uh, you know, the, the, the negative energy that you want to try and avoid coming into your family life as well. Um, I wanted to ask just on your your experiences, what you do to personally promote yourself as a father, um, as somebody who has a life outside of work, what do you, what sorts of things do you do to try and uh, promote yourself as being family friendly? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it, it all comes down to, to culture and how you show up. Um, so it's not just about talking the talk, which is very, very important. It's also about walking the walk and encouraging and personally demonstrating a family-friendly culture. So I'm very transparent on the flexibility I need, not just for parental leave, but also from day to day in just being a parent. The smaller everyday actions that have a bigger impact and empower the team to know that they can leave early, take parental leave, whatever it is, and can do so without judgment. Uh, Leaving loudly not sneaking out the back door at the end of the day, I think is really important as it signals to the team, you trust them and it demonstrates an appreciation for family and more generally a life outside of work and it empowers the team to do it the same. Um, I think actively promoting and encouraging um, family friendly, friendly practices like parental leave. So no matter who you speak with, continuing the conversation with someone after they announce they are expecting So don't just stop at congratulations. And this is something that we've been working on internally to try and promote healthy conversations. Ask questions on what their plans might be and highlight the policy we have. 
um, and transparently share my own experience in an effort to promote that. Um, I think the big thing for me, and comes back to the question before, is parental leave is use it or lose it. And thankfully at Pernod Ricard Winemakers, you can take it flexibly. So rather than in a single continuous period within the first 24 months to best suit you, but after that, it is gone. So you need to, individuals need to remove themselves from where they think they are and and the value that they're adding. And I'm not downplaying the... Um, I'm not downplaying the effort and the importance of our people because they are extremely important. But if you take a step back and look at where you are, you need to realise that no matter how important you think you might be, the cogs will keep turning. Um, The grapes will keep getting picked and they will keep fermenting. And you won't get that time with your newborn, your parent, your sister, whatever it is that's important to you, you won't get that time again. So to have an employer that wholeheartedly supports that is a real game changer. And so I try and encourage our teams and broader um, Panerica winemakers, colleagues, and even in the industry to take the most time to watch your kids grow because I believe it's really important you're set up at home because then you're far more likely to succeed at work. And that's such a mutually beneficial outcome because you want to support your team at home because it leads to a better work-life balance and subsequently a better output Mm, these are such great comments. Thank you. It's just nice to, to hear that honest perspective that, you know, the idea that the world will still turn, but your family will need you now and you won't get that time back. So it's excellent. It's really lovely to hear. I will close up, but I can't really finish up without asking this one final question. And I am putting you totally on the spot here, but I guess if you could share a recommendation of a very accessible wine that you have been involved in uh, that uh, listeners might be able to find in their local grog shop and try themselves. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, what do you personally like? I like a Cab Sav. You like a Cab Sav? Especially okay. a South Australian one. So, <laughs> Especially. Oh, well, um, I really recommend um, Orlando wines and that's in my unbiased opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think we make excellent wines and that's really plays into my culture as well. I wouldn't be here if I didn't strongly believe in the wines that, that we make. Um, I really, really love Orlando Steingarten Riesling. I think it's a really um, pure, scintillating, crystal-cut expression of Riesling and shows um, really how modern Australian white wine um, is taking the world by storm. So I strongly recommend um, Orlando Riesling. If you like Mm -hmm. something a little bit more full-bodied, we have two Chardonnay. I know you only asked for one, but that's like asking you to choose your favourite child, and so, (laughs) which is probably fitting fitting for the discussion. But if you really like um, Chardonnay, we have two, um, our Hillary and Lindale Chardonnays, both are from Adelaide Hills, and they're both modern expressions of Chardonnay, um, which are really flinty and interesting and have a really um, silky saline palette as well. So I love those ones. And if you love something more full-bodied, your Cab Sav, I really recommend our Jacaranda Ridge um, Coonawari Cabernet. I think it's an exercise in what um, an excellent Coonawara vineyard can can make. And I lo- it's really shows delicacy and elegance, but it's also got a lot of might and grunt as well. So I really love the Jacaranda Ridge Cabernet as well. All right. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tim. And uh, congratulations on 
uh, your success and your work and also everything that you have to say on family as well, which is really great to hear. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. And thanks for all the work that you do in terms of promoting this. It's something that I'm really passionate about and I get really excited about the message and watching the ripple effect and seeing parents be parents and people really getting excited about their both their work and their home life because I think those things are so crucial. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. The Family Friendly Workplaces podcast is an initiative supporting the new National Work and Family Standards for Workplaces, which informs employers of the minimum and best practice policies they can invest in to create a great family-friendly workplace culture. You can learn more at familyfriendlyworkplaces.com.